In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Good morning, Cleveland. Uh, John, I think I prefer the English version, to be honest. <laughs> then go so, right ahead. So guys, uh, this is my good friend, John Walsh. Uh, he's, we met in London. Uh, we then meet in Cleveland every time I seem to go over. I can't get rid of John. And John's a famous guy. When he made the uh, burgers, or I made the burgers, he put the uh, plastic American cheese. So uh, me and John always have a bit of banter. John, you, you want to give me any abuse today about anything? Uh, no, I think American cheese has its place. Uh, apparently you don't, but that's quite all right. Okay. American fans, I do like your uh, American cheese, um, but not very much. I do apologize. So, John... How are you, mate? How's things going? Uh, going great. Uh, kind of bad time of the year. Football's over. Cavaliers aren't doing very well, so I'm just anxious to get rolling. The offseason for the Browns, I think, is going to be one of the most exciting we've had in many years. 30 weeks until the season starts, but let's go back to where we first met. So we first met in London, and how was your experience? Cleveland Browns fan from Cleveland coming to London. Tell everyone what was it like? I have to tell you, it was the trip of a lifetime. Uh, it was just fantastic. The the whole situation, the Admiralty Pub where we had the pregame the night before, uh, Jimmy Haslam, Jim Brown, Josh Cribbs, everybody there. Your group, the uh, uh, British Bulldogs, Brown Packers, were just fantastic. You and Kelly and the gang just did a fantastic job putting that whole thing together. We had such a wonderful time. The whole atmosphere was fantastic. The pregame at uh, the pub uh, next to Twickenham Stadium, everything we did was just top shelf. I got to ride with you and uh, Jeremy Shep on the train uh, from downtown London out to Twickenham. Uh, it was part of that ESPN special that they did. I just uh, can't emphasize enough how much time, how much of a great time we had. Yeah, and I'm going to be on the other side now. I, I get it because you're in Cleveland and you get, you get told you've got to go and fly to London. It's like, gee, man, I've got eight home games over a year. And one of them I've got to give up to go to London. Why should people in London benefit when I want to watch the game? So I do get it from a, from a Cleveland locals point of view, but the flip side is it's a great away game or it's a great time to travel. And during that 0-60-16 season, it was almost like a Super Bowl in a weird way. It was incredible. It was one of the best games I've ever been to. I've been a season ticket holder since 1999. Uh, I probably, before those years, averaged three or four games that I went to every season. And that was one of the top games I've ever been to. It was just phenomenal. The atmosphere was incredible. The people, I, ironically, Paul, I sit down in my seat. I was by myself. My wife ended up doing something else that day. And I sit down next to a young kid. He's about 20 years old. He's from the same town, Lakewood, Ohio, that I am. He and his father came in for the game. What are the odds of that? It was incredible. Yeah, awesome. But look, today we're going to focus on the 80s. And um, as always, it's not like a pure history session. It's about your memories, your experiences. 
Uh, That's fine. And the only bad thing about that is the fact that uh, being considered for the eighties just reminds me how old I am. Well, I was born in the eighties. So, uh, (laughs) yeah, so was I, (laughs) but John, going back and look at some history, it looks like we got to the playoffs quite a lot, but we seem to lost a lot of the championships in the eighties. Yeah. It was a weird time because the beginning of the eighties was with, uh, Ozzie Newsome and Clay Matthews, relatively young, you know, in the early part of their career. Uh, Brian Sipe took over the city by storm. Uh, I forget what round it was, Paul, but he was like a 17th round draft pick. They used to have that many yeah, rounds was, yeah. back in the day. And he just came on and he electrified the city. We had that one year in 1980 where we ended up making it all the way to the game where the famous Red Right 88 occurred. And it was electric the city was really crazy and the worst part about it is it went downhill pretty quick uh just just tell us mate in 1980 why was that a famous game well the red right 88 game was the one that we were in the playoffs we it was i want to say the temperature was below zero it was very cold and the browns were losing 14 12 going into the uh, last quarter actually towards the end of the game and you in the stadium at this point or watching on tv I was watching it on TV with my family, but a number of my friends were at the game and it was bitter cold and we're down by two. Uh, I I can't remember what down it was. I want to say it was third down. It might've been fourth, but no, it was third. And uh, Brian Sipe threw the famous pass into the end zone. Ozzie Newsom was the intended receiver and Mike Davis from the Raiders intercepted it. And we had the opportunity to kick the field goal, but between the cold temperatures, the fact that that stadium, it was on the, baseball infield part of the stadium it was on the other side of the dog pound at the time and actually that was before the dog pound was even introduced but uh we could have kicked a field goal don cockroft was the kicker at the time conventional kicker and sam ritigliano elected to to throw one more pass you know could have been thrown away sure but the situation was that it wasn't and oakland ended up winning the super bowl that year gutting it was terrible it was awful i remember my mother cried for two days and then if I remember, oh, looking back at history, in 82, we met the Raiders again. We did. And, uh, you know, that was at the beginning of the decline of the Browns, too. They had a couple light years in the early 80s. Uh, there was some uh, issues with – it was funny. One year the offense would be strong, the next year the defense would be strong. And then we lost Brian Sipe, and our backup quarterback, Paul McDonald, was the quarterback, and he was never equipped, in my opinion, to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. And it was just a rough time. Sam Ritigliano ended up getting fired after a couple of years. And uh, Marty came in. And then everything just kind of changed immediately when uh, Bernie Kozar was signed in the supplemental draft. I mean, that, that changed everything in the city of Cleveland. I'm going to put you under a bit of pressure here. Why was Bernie in the supplement drive, draft? Well, he finagled away and, and rumor has it, or I don't know if it's a rumor or not, but that Bernie actually kind of orchestrated himself. He wanted so desperately to play for the Browns that the supplemental draft came together and, and somehow whoever was involved concocted a way for it to happen. I remember distinctly when I heard it, I, I actually moved away from Cleveland for a number of years and I was living in Lansing, Michigan. And I was in my car listening to a Cleveland radio station and they announced that the Browns had signed Bernie Kozar in the supplemental draft. I couldn't believe it. I mean, he was a, a local kid. He went to Miami. He wasn't 
a huge household name like obviously he is today and how he was with the Browns. But people that knew football knew who he was. Uh, he, he had a famous game, and I can't remember if he won or if Nebraska won, but there was a huge um, uh, college football game between uh, Miami of Florida and Nebraska that he was involved in. And I want to say he was also in the uh, Miami game when uh, Doug Flutie threw the uh, Hail Mary pass, if you're familiar with that. Yep. Yeah, and so. if you could try and uh, picture uh, Bernie like an, a callback of today, what that period what what name would you say wow that's that's a really hard question sorry no no that, the reason i say that is because today's quarterbacks are so athletic i think bernie would admit to you that he's not an athletic quarterback uh there was some interesting things about him that you know if, if he had to run forget it he was he was not getting that first down um i think he was the most cerebral quarterback i've ever seen that guy and it's funny because you see some of the same things with Baker now. Throwing the ball where only the receiver is going to catch it. You know, it's either going to be incomplete or it's going to be caught by our guy, but it's not going to get thrown where it's going to get picked. And, and and you see a lot of that early on with Baker. Same situation. All right, great. And, and going, uh, going through the 80s, um, 85, we lost in the playoffs to the Dolphins. Yeah, that game was – we were winning at halftime. I can't remember what the score was, but we were up, I want to say either seven or 10 points, and it was extremely hot down in Miami, and the Browns just ran out of gas. Uh, Miami ended up scoring the majority of their points in the second half, and uh, that was the demise there. And that was, if I remember, that was the year the Browns were 8-8, eight and eight, and we started yeah, Gary Danielson, the quarterback, at the beginning, the first half of the year, and then went with Bernie, and we got hot at the end. And that was kind of the prelude to the following season, which ironically has some similarities to what we just experienced this year, too. Oh, uh, great. And then, yeah, 86? Uh, 86 was incredible. Now, uh, that's one of the things. I mean, the Browns fans were, uh, as you know, I've, with the Browns backers that you're in, this was before the advent of satellite dish and the stuff. And I actually didn't live in Indian, or didn't live in Cleveland at the time. I lived in Indianapolis. And I remember that season was just incredible. Uh, I was engaged to my wife, uh, my future father-in-law. The first time I meet him, he comes down to Indianapolis for the weekend. The girls go shopping, and he and I watched the Browns-Jets uh, overtime game. Awesome. And he, is, he was not a Browns fan at the time. He has since uh, been to a number of Browns games with me. But I was jumping up and down, throwing things in the apartment, and he's thinking to himself, oh, my God, who's my daughter marrying? Awesome. Who, who did he support in them days? Uh, he was a, he's actually a huge college football fan, even to this day. He's an Ohio State Buckeye fan. Excellent. Yeah, he lives, in, he lives in enemy territory, and he's a Buckeye. Now, this is a good opportunity to pause the podcast and uh, talk a little bit about your wife, because if I'm correct, uh, John, you're a huge Buckeyes fan. I am. Um, my wife was born and raised in the state of uh, up north. We don't, so, we don't, we don't <laughs> so, reference it by name. <laughs> so, John, whenever we meet, because obviously my first uh, office was in Ann Arbor in Michigan. Right. Um, I've been to one game in Michigan. I've been no, to no games in uh, Ohio College. Right. We always have this bit of fun. So you married someone on the dark side. Not only that, my mother-in-law worked for that university for 20 years. And if anyone meets John, 
he absolutely hates anything north of the border. So, <laughs> and and his daughter and his son are just as bad. So uh, poor poor mum. Uh, yes. a really hard time. She she does. And when, when my mother-in-law went to my daughter's commencement from Ohio State, when she walked into the Horseshoe Stadium for the uh, commencement exercise, we were worried that lightning bolts were going to strike. <laughs> I, I always say the two best things that ever come out of that state, Paul, are my wife and Interstate 75. Very good. Well, look, we're not, we're not a college podcast, so let's go crack on back into the late 80s. Oh, that's great. And, um, yeah, so obviously uh, 86 was uh, huge. Um, was that the drive, 86? Or the... 86 was the drive, 87 was the fumble. Okay. Right, and I know you had Ernest Biner on once, yep. too, and... Uh, what a class guy. I mean, the situation was just awful. I mean, uh, you know, there's situations in in that drive game, Paul, and I know that you've really done a lot of research in you know, Browns history and things of that nature, but, uh, you know, there was a situation in that game where the Browns punted where they were near midfield. And in fact, I think that's where the drive started. I want to say it was fourth and two or the Browns could have potentially gone for it ran out the clock and won the game and Marty elected to, to punt that ball. And that's where the drive occurred. Um, you know, there was a wide receiver who I won't mention who missed a block in the, the fumble game that yeah. if he would have made his block on Jeremiah Castillo, Ernest Biner would have scored untouched. You know, there's a lot of things that occurred that were just bad luck in the drive game. A lot of people think that Rich Carlos field goal was, was wide. I don't know if you've ever seen the film clip of that. Yeah, I've seen it. And uh, one thing about um, Ernest is that, like, when I had him on the podcast, he was telling, like, people really didn't like him afterwards. And um, did you ever see or experience that yourself? I, I had heard, you know, the social media obviously wasn't around. And you basically were at talk radio and newspapers. And I know there was a lot of idiots that probably did things they regret now today that, uh, you know, it was his fault. It was his fault. You, you watch that game and you see what Ernest Biner did in that entire football game. He and Bernie put on a clinic. They ran mm-hmm. screen passes. They ran, uh, you know, uh, runs up the middle that Ernest is just busting runs for 15, 18, 20 yards. If we would, we would have never been in that situation to win that game had it not been for Ernest Biner, period. Yeah. And, and sometimes um, in big games and big plays, you know, Take Michael Jordan, for example. You know, you, you missed that winning shot. But some people get treated, like, really, really bad. And some people, like, turn into Michael Jordan legends, you know. So, yeah, it's tough, you know. Sometimes you may only get one opportunity and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, no, it, it's it's true. And, and look, look at him. And he got the last laugh. Number one, he's, he's revered and loved back in Cleveland again, which I think is fantastic. And number two... Uh, I believe he has a Super Bowl ring from the Washington Redskins, if I'm not mistaken, you know, (laughs) so good for him. And he's just a great guy. And he's obviously very active around Cleveland again, which I think is fantastic. Excellent. And then, yeah, carrying on throughout the years. I'm sorry. And then, yeah, carrying on through, through the year. So um, um, obviously we had the um, drive fumble. Right. The, the year between that, that we didn't make the playoffs was, I believe, the Houston games where uh, Don Strzok was the quarterback because Bernie was hurt. Uh, those teams, I don't know, were as solid or not. And obviously that uh, is when we had the change in head coaching, too, when Bud Carson came in. 
because that last year that the Browns were in the AFC Championship game, Bud Carson was head coach. Yeah, and then um, yeah, because we we lost to the uh, Oilers in the playoffs, and then Bud came in, and um, yeah, we we beat the um, the playoffs, the Bills, but then right, we, yeah. And then we lost to uh, the Broncos quite badly. Yeah, that year with with Houston, if you remember, we actually had to play them two weeks in a row. We played them at uh, the week before the regular season game, won that game, then had to play them in the playoffs and lost. And that was uh, Don Strzok, if you're familiar with him. He was, for years, the backup quarterback in Miami, and the Browns signed him. He was working at some country club in Miami when the Browns signed him because Bernie hurt his hand <laughs> or something. That he, I forget if he broke his wrist or something like that. And Don Strzok comes into Cleveland in the middle of the season all tan, you know, <laughs> looking like a Florida guy. And all of a sudden he's playing quarterback in the playoffs for the Cleveland Browns. In the cold, not liking it at all, eh? It, it, yeah, and I was at that game. It was not – it was not – it wasn't like the Red Right 88 game, but it was cold. <laughs> Yeah, good. And then, yeah, and to finish up in 89, um, yeah, we lost heavily to the Broncos. Yeah, that was an ugly game. And and I wanted to tell a quick story about that. Uh, that was right around the time when satellite dishes were becoming prevalent in sports bars. And I was living in Milwaukee, Wisconsin at the time. And a buddy of mine from Cleveland, Jeff Marfinitz, who actually you met at that clam bake yeah. that we had. Yeah, uh, Jeff and I were in Cleveland or in Milwaukee. And we were trying to figure out how to watch the Browns game. And I get out the yellow pages, the phone book, and there's a little bar in a suburb of Milwaukee called Sports Street. And it advertised in the, in the yellow pages that they had a satellite dish. Wow, okay. Now, you're, you don't, you're too young. But these satellite dishes, they used to have to spin around in a circle. No, no, no. I, remember, try and catch... I remember that era. Okay. And unfortunately – they weren't able to get that particular game. It was the first week of the year. I remember we were playing Kansas City, and we couldn't get it. But anyway, we were watching the local Packer game or whatever was on. And I ended up going back to that same pub a couple days later. I got to know the owner and myself and another gentleman, a guy by the name of Nick Monfrey, ultimately started the Brew City Browns Backers Club in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, based cool. on that experience in the bar. And Nick is a guy from Milwaukee who never lived in Cleveland. He lives in Florida now. He's still a diehard Browns fan. And he and I basically did the same thing that you guys did in the UK, but we started our own chapter of the Browns backers in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Awesome. Is the, is the chapter still going now? It is. Uh, I don't know how many people they have. I, I want to, uh, it, it's a, it's a pretty good Browns town because there's some universities there. Uh, Marquette university is a very popular place for a lot of Cleveland students and stuff. So I know they do very well. And if I remember correctly, You've still got the original logo somewhere. I do. I have a couple T-shirts. In fact, I, I, next time I see you, I'm going to run up to the attic and see if I have a couple. Excellent. Good, good, good. And give me, uh, give me, give me one, and I'll copy it and give it back to you or something. It's well, it's fantastic. What we did is we had a picture of the old municipal stadium with a dog in the middle with a Browns jersey, and he's holding a beer. Being you know, Milwaukee, being the beer capital of, of of America. Awesome, Matt. I need to see a picture of that logo soon. I, you, you will. I'll get it to you. No problem. Awesome. All right, great. Well, look, John, thank you so much for going through the 80s with me. It, was there any other key highlights in the 80s? or any? Well, pictures? I have a personal highlight I'd like to share with you if I could. Uh, in the early 1980s, from like 1979 to 1983, I was the front office manager of a Holiday Inn Hotel in Middleburg Heights, which is adjacent to Berea. Yep. And Baldwin Wallace College is where the Browns trained at that time before they had built the facility. 
And what had happened was, is that being the front desk manager, a lot of the players, before they knew if they were making the team or not, were staying at the hotel I worked at. And I got to know a lot of players. Most of the guys that I got to know really well were the guys that were rookies or free agents that weren't yeah. sure if they were going to make the team. But if you remember back in the days of the hotels, each room had a little slot behind the front desk where they kept keys. Yes. And then there was also the message system with the phones, which the younger people don't have any idea what I'm talking about. But basically, to make a long story short, if the light was flashing on the phone, it meant you had a message. Well, I ended up becoming sort of a Turk, and which is a term here used in the States for the guy who has to lay the hammer down and cut the players. And I would find out because I had to put the messages into these players' hotel room slots. No way. To who was getting cut and who was making the team. So they would call down to the front desk after they saw they had a message and it was, you know, some eighth round draft pick or something. And uh, coach so-and-so wants to see you in room 108. And then all of a sudden you'd hear, oh, crap, I know what that means. I'm gone. <laughs> and we just knew that people were getting cut and the media would be hanging around the lobby to see what was going on. And I leaked a few stories over the years. Uh, John, you never told me you're an insider, mate. Well, I was for a couple of years, but this was back when I was you know, 18, 19 years old. Wow. But if you had social media in them days. Oh, there was a time the Browns defensive line was terrible. And there was a guy named Jerry Wilkinson who was playing for Tampa Bay at the time, and he had gotten cut. And he checked into the hotel that night, and it was a Monday. I'll never forget it. And so I called Channel 8 here in Cleveland, which at the time was a CBS affiliate. And I told uh, Jim Mueller was the guy's name, who ended up being a color commentator for the Browns. And Monday Night Football was running simultaneously on a different network. And it was like the eighth story in the sports report said, uh, rumors have it that Jerry Wilkinson's getting a tryout with the Browns. So then the Monday Night Football game ends on the ABC affiliate, and it was the lead story on their sports, which was after I had leaked it to the other channel. <laughs> Jesus. John, I hope you got the names right and didn't get the wrong person because you could be causing all sorts of trouble. <laughs> it was definitely Jerry Wilkinson. Oh, excellent. Good, good. So, John, the insider, we're going to have to call you from now on. Yeah, for a couple of years anyway. I'm not anymore. Yeah. All right, excellent. Well, look, John, as always, it's great seeing you. Um, I always enjoy my time with you and your family out in Cleveland. And, Warm um, regards from everybody here, too. Um, yeah. Hopefully, first game is a home game, and I hope we're going to get out. That's great. Yeah, we, we definitely got to do something, and uh, you got to experience my annual clam bake this past year, and we'd love to have you then. I'll, I'll give you ample time, and hopefully there'll be a later game so we can have a little time pregame instead of a 1 o'clock kickoff. I think you're going to see a lot of – Four, four o'clock and, and evening starts for the Browns since they've played so much better. Yeah, I think if there's a lot of these late games, I'll be definitely staying a bit more than just uh, 24 hours. So, uh, My friend, you are welcome anytime. You know that. All right, excellent. And look, thank you very much for coming on the pod. I've been trying to get you on from day one. And uh, yeah, I'll see you soon. My pleasure, Paul. Thank you so much. Uh, John, last question. What do you reckon uh, our win-loss record is going to be this season? I'm going to go 11-5. and five. So positive. I am a positive, and I'll tell you why. Uh, two people, uh, obviously Baker Mayfield. Uh, second is John Dorsey. Uh, he put together some brilliant, I could use a little English terminology, some brilliant acquisitions and some moves that he made in this past season, and there's no reason for me to believe that he can't do it again. John, you're not going to be happy with this. I'm going 9-7, and seven, but we win the division. I reckon... I, 
That's possible. You know, the year that we were eight and eight, we won the division. If you can believe that. Yeah, I'm you going know? nine and seven. It's gonna be tougher than everyone thinks. So I know everyone's on the honeymoon stage at the moment, but I think it's gonna be a bit tougher than we think it's gonna be. But we I, are gonna win it. I think you may be right. There may be some times. I'm looking at the fact that we're playing the NFC or the, excuse me, the AFC East this year. You know, if you look, you're playing Miami, you're playing Buffalo, you're playing the Jets. Uh, you know, you can see three wins. You know, those are games you can win. Uh, you know, I, I think that we can do a similar thing in our own division. You know, perhaps, you know, with the six games, we go four and two, catch a break, go five and one. Uh, you know, we're playing Seattle this year. I'm not sure if Seattle's the same team they were. We've got Arizona, uh, which, by the way, if we can work it out, maybe we could meet in Phoenix for that game. I think that would be fun. <laughs> it, it's on my list. You know, that Zane's there. So uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully I'm going to get myself there. Probably yeah, Zane. Probably Zane to get cut. Known Zane, but um, yeah, it's okay. It's um, he got a raw deal. Whenever you found out he was hurt afterwards, you felt bad for the guy. Yeah. So uh, he's in London in two weeks. Oh, very cool. Yeah, he's a big football. Your football fan, isn't he? Uh, we call it. We call it soccer. No, we call it football. Oh, good. I, I love it. I, I've, I've got you converted. I'm. I'm very pleased. I say that in my office, and they go absolutely nuts. <laughs> I call it EPL and soccer. They go absolutely nuts. So uh, yeah. You, well, you know, we we have to wait. What'd you say? Thirty weeks, right? Yeah, 30 weeks yeah. until the season's yeah, well, done. Your football never ends, so you know it's a little yeah, different. True. All right, John, thanks a lot for your time. In regards to your family, and uh, uh, I'll see you in uh, maybe training camp. Oh, that'd be wonderful. Hey, when are you riding the horse? Uh, uh, I'm trying to find a horse. <laughs> it's not that easy finding a horse in central London. So Make, uh, make, make up a fake one and just kind of parade through... Uh, John, you, if you know me by well enough now, I don't do things by half, so uh, <laughs> I'm going to get a real horse. So uh, it's going to take a bit of time, though. Yeah. Best to you, my friend. <laughs> <laughs>